Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about growing your own food. I'm delighted to welcome special guest, Nikki Schauder. Nikki is a certified permaculture designer who applies her expertise to helping gardeners grow an abundant harvest at home. She and her husband, Dave, have been invited to speak at health expos, university symposiums, podcasts, and local gardening clubs. You can learn more about Nikki and the webinar she offers at her website, growmyownfood.com, and I'll include a link in the description. Welcome, Nikki. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks, Linda. Oh, I'm excited to be talking about this topic, and right now it's harvest season, and some beautiful things are growing in in my garden, and I am not an expert. I do not have a green thumb, so I'm really excited to learn from you, but I'm also kind of curious about what is your story? What got you to be passionate about teaching people how to grow their own food? I guess my garden journey really started in the Philippines, which is a third world country in Asia Pacific, where a lot of people live in poverty. But at the same time, a lot of people are more joyful than I've observed here in America. <laughs> at least that's what I've experienced. And back home, growing up in a country uh, with a lot of poverty, yet a lot of rich natural resources, and seeing at that time in the 90s, the threat of urban development encroach upon the, um, the land, I really had an environmentalist heart from the get-go. And I didn't know exactly what shape or form that would take throughout the years. I thought of becoming a marine biologist, but I'm a poor swimmer. And um, But my husband, he loves to scuba dive. <laughs> but looking back, I think my earliest writings were fictional stories of development, like seeing urban development from the eyes of the national bird of the Philippines, the Harry, Harry Bon, or otherwise known as the monkey-eating eagle. So flash forward to the U.S., I met my husband, Dave, here, and we started having kids. We now have six children. Wow. Yes, and um, uh, our first two children had really bad allergies, and we didn't know where these were coming from. We didn't have really ex- I, you know, extreme allergies that they had, which my, my daughter was allergic to nuts, all nuts, peanuts, milk, wheat, peas, um, chicken eggs, dairy. Wow. That was amazing. So she could hardly eat anything. She was 18 pounds for the longest time and she was uh, diagnosed failure to thrive. Oh no. They did a lot of tests on her and we were so worried that was our first child. And then when our second child had allergies too, we were like, there must be something wrong with something. There must be something wrong with what we're eating, the conventional food system. And then we thought, okay, we, um, we're going to start growing our own food on our own. And my husband had some experience. I, even though I grew up with a gardening grandma, she would, she would love to um, encourage me, but I would like not be so interested (laughs) when I was younger. And then uh, now all of a sudden I was trying to learn. And it wasn't until we stumbled upon the word permaculture in one of our bookstore dates that we started growing successfully. And so that's the beginning of our permaculture garden journey. So how's your child doing now? Is was it a girl? Was she able to eat better yeah. and more? And yeah, Zoe is now fourteen years old. At that time, there were like hardly any resources for allergies, allergy-free cookbooks. So um, it was really hard to create these new flowers on our own, taking flowers from millet and other other grains that we weren't even familiar with. So is it? But now she's uh, outgrown a lot of her allergies. So the only ones remaining are the nuts and then now she can eat almonds and so can my my second he is allergic to 
he was allergic to fish and now he can eat fish, but he can't eat um, nuts. He still has the nut allergies and the rest of them. So that's when we started growing organic, eating organic. And of course, like this is purely anecdotal disclaimer. I'm not, a, I have no scientific study. I just have my six kids as my guinea pigs. But um, they, the four others that came after them, they're, they're allergy-free, thank God. So, Wow. Okay, so that's amazing. You know, it is hard to keep children alive and to feed them even when they don't have food allergies. So to be able to have all of that compounded on top, you deserve a medal for having your kids survive. That's amazing. Well done. Oh my gosh, Linda, you're so gracious. Um, but I think I think there might be other parents out there that are experiencing some health issues, and that's where we were. That's where we turned to the garden. And thank you for your words. But I feel like it was totally, it was totally desperation. And um, you're so empathetic. Yeah, <laughs> I love we've it. done a- some food allergies, and and it makes things challenging. So I I understand. And I think it's so beautiful that you found a solution and now you're reaching out so that you can help the other people who are dealing with it. Because I know with some of the things that we dealt with, I thought I felt like I was the first person, you know, and, and when you find, oh, there is someone else and, and here's some suggestions and here's how to get started. It helps. It, it just, it's just helpful. So we're going to talk about gardening and I'm so excited to be learning about permaculture, but I would also like if it's okay to talk a little bit about why? I mean, how does this benefit? I mean, it benefited your children by by helping them to be healthy and to be able to thrive, which is huge. But I think for most people, they just think, well, I can go to the grocery store and buy food. So why would I want to buy? I mean, why would I want to grow food? How does that benefit people, not only physically, but maybe mentally and emotionally and financially and spiritually even? Yes. Um, we definitely started out first dabbling into gardening because of our health issues but that quickly led us to find more joy as the more and more we grew the more and more we understood how connected that connection between the land and your gut I often say the soil is like your gut because there's an ecosystem below ground that supports the ecosystem above ground and there's an ecosystem in your gut that supports like almost your whole like health your your health the health of your body and and permaculture, which is a design science based on observation of nature, we found that it was an extremely holistic approach to looking at your plants, your animals, yourself, your diet, your home in design. So it's more than just permaculture itself. That term is like an umbrella term for organic gardening, for um, regenerative agriculture, for composting. But we use its principles. It's more than just gardening, but we use its principles first in the home garden and then it slowly seeps into our daily living as we bring home the harvest. We have to learn how to can it. You know, everything is connected to everything else. And, and in permaculture systems, we start to recognize that nature has patterns and that we try to mimic those patterns and those nat- nature, natural patterns are God given. And then that's where the spirituality comes in is that, um, you, you, you cannot help if you, even if, um, when I met my husband, he did not have any, you know, professed uh, organized religion and it was in the in his hikes and in um, nature that he found a serenity and a peace where he was talking to something somebody you know some that he believed um, and that I think that was his first steps towards God and uh, 
its its principles, yeah, are used in. Uh, so, for instance, with each turn of the season, you see there's a succession that makes it the system more efficient, more stable, more diverse, and more abundant. And the permaculture designer, the role the role of us as designers of our gardens is to shepherd and guide the system. And in the process, we reduce our work. It's less work. You don't have to go to the grocery uh, if you want blackberries, because I can just, at least for this whole month, I can just kind of step out and get a pint of blackberries whenever I want. And um, we get the most local, most nutrient-dense, if you're talking about health, food that money cannot buy. And if, um, God forbid, the trucks stop coming and something happens, you have in your backyard a form of a grocery right there. Um, and then if you've grown it intentionally, which doesn't take a long time, we've seen tra- gardens transform in three to six months, and we thought it would take years to um, regenerate. And it doesn't take a lot of time to create a garden because nature is so so willing to work with us. And God is so willing, God is present in those natural systems. So I can I can go on more about, about finding God in the garden if that's something that you'd like to me to expound on. Oh, all of this is sounding amazing. And when you're talking about working in harmony with the earth and paying attention to the patterns that are already there, rather than trying to recreate the wheel, so to speak, you're paying attention. So will you, will you give me just a a basic, you know, permaculture 101? How do I transform my garden so that I'm working more in harmony? I love the idea of making it easier. I'm a fan of easy and I would love success. So teach me. Yeah. So Another word for permaculture gardening is lazy garden. Oh, so, yes, yes. Sign me yeah. up for that. Yes, it is because once you set it up, okay, maybe the investment is two days of installation in your backyard, um, initially hauling the dirt or creating the garden beds. Um, and then the way that we would, if you start with a raised bed, normally we would ask our, we ask our clients to start with the act of growing seeds and harvesting their own microgreens in one week. And that in and of itself is such a great skill to have, to have that confidence that I can grow anything from seed and then the meditation on the seed and what that brings is just so deep. So um, we start with starting with sprouts and then and then once they're ready with that, they've gotten that skill down, that's too easy for them and they're ready to start their raised beds, then usually the most common raised bed that, people start the veggie bed is done with something called lasagna gardening. And so these are just methods that we have accumulated, but um, it's always done with observation. So where to put this garden, got to first look at your land. And then we have a way to observe the land. Um, Our friend, Amy Strauss from 10th Acre Farm is another permaculture author. Um, She got us first growing uh, she was not my teacher per se but her book started us um do we, we appear in her book because we were reading her blog and we started implementing things and one of the things that she says is it only takes 15 minutes to garden but seven out of those 15 minutes should be spent observing hmm, and i think that's so powerful so once you get the observing down you don't have to take a long time you can do it in 10 days you're, you're taking notes of different aspects of the land where the where does the sun shine or not shine or is there a microclimate? What critters are where? Where? What weeds do you see? Um, so there are 10 things that I sing about on a, on a webinar. So if you hop out on one, one of our webinars, you're bound to, to hear me sing of these 10 crucial steps that most organic gardeners forget about. But um, 
that leads to design. And then once you design it with these things in mind, the, the access, the mm, aspect, the sun, where the sun is, then you start planting your lasagna garden. And the lasagna garden is just is a raised bed that has underneath, instead of plastic weed um, weed barrier, we just use Amazon cardboard boxes, you know, that we flatten, overlap, and that protects the weeds. But over time, it disintegrates into the soil and builds the soil up. But for the time being that things are growing, it doesn't let the weeds in. And true enough, I, I, uh, I don't, dis- I only uh, install gardens every time I install a school garden nowadays. And we did one with uh, school kids last March in our local Title I schools. And, um, and I, I, even I get surprised how easy it is not to have weeds because we, we didn't go back until July after school closed. And then the principal was like, I'm so sorry, we didn't weed. I'm like, there's no weeds. The only things that came up were the things that we planted and the things that didn't come up were they just died, but the things that, that died, but there are no weeds. It was just um, a lasagna garden is a, and I can, I can send you the link to that blog as well and how to build it and a video on how to build it as well it's amazing it's a great way to start i love no weeds so that makes gardening (laughs) easier just you don't have to pick weeds because there aren't any weeds to pick yeah nice it all starts with that design just um starting that design and that um that laying down that weed barrier and the layers of of soil and compost that go after it into your lasagna garden bed and yeah so That's I'm assuming it. lasagna garden bed means that you don't, you're not worrying about tilling everything in. You just put a layer of this and then a layer yeah. of that and then a layer of this. And then when you get to the top, then you just plant your seeds and you're good to go. Yes. Um, you plant your seeds and then the last layer we put is straw just to make sure there's no evaporation during the summer and that keeps the, the soil a little warmer during the winter. Um, but yes, and the layers don't really matter as long as there's compost somewhere in there and there's like some sort of a soil this crumbly good, you know, soil that's in there as well. What does matter is if you could introduce, that's why the compost is important, the microbiology or the, um, that ecology that would promote abundant growth. So it, like I said earlier, that ecosystem below ground that supports the ecosystem above ground is crucial. So if you have the composting bacteria, that the compost is usually made of good bacteria, earthworms, um, but beneficial fungi, which 80% of fungi is beneficial, but you know because of the pesticide industry, we've probably been trained to think that most fungi that we see is bad, but 80% of it are in some mutual bene- beneficial relationship with your plants. So cultivating that life in the soil comes from uh, just setting, you know, putting that compost in there and maybe putting your food scraps in one of those layers as well, you know, underneath so the rodents don't get to it or or can, nothing can sniff it out. But um, yeah, once it's set, it kind of dissolves and into the soil, becomes the soil. The earthworms do the work for you <laughs> and um, round things out. In the first year, your bed is kind of wonky. You're not quite sure what's going to grow or you know, <laughs> whether you've done it right because everything's trying to balance itself out. But the next year, it gets better and better. And it gets better as you sort of amend the soil and, and depending on what you grow as well. So um, as the seasons go, you, we grow with the seasons, as you know, nature dictates, as the, the fall crops are nitrogen, we try to put nitrogen-rich crops, which are legumes, 
in each of the seasons and that always feeds nitrogen back in the soil. The thing that promotes abundance into your soil really is the plants that you put in. So as they die, we don't pull them out and yank up and, and um, disturb the root layer. We try to just chop and drop them. Now, if you're starting with soil that's super compact, then yeah, the first year we just, you know, we'll, we'll try to decompact that without the use of a rototiller in a, in a very manual way. Like sometimes we use pickaxes and sometimes we'll use um, pit broad forks to just wiggle the soil out and aerate it. But as soon as we do that, we just then we inoculate or introduce those life forms that are beneficial for the soil. Like you, do you buy worms or do you find them someplace yeah, else in the garden? If, if the place it. doesn't have worms at all or compost, then we would buy worms and put them in there or um, mycorrhizal fungi is another thing that we put in there. There's some nitrogen fixing bacteria that um, help the roots. They're associated with the legumes, legume plants, and they have a symbiotic relationship with legume plants. And these are Frankia and Rhizobium bacteria. And so you can purchase these. These are like Endure, I think is one product, N slash Dure. Um, if your soil doesn't have that, but if you have beans growing in there, um, yeah, that would, that would help too. To, that's why, that's the, that's the science behind the cover cropping that happens in the fall, in the fall to the winter, when you kind of leave your, um, your land fallow in a way, but you cover crop it with with these green legumes to promote more nitrogen in the soil and also carbon because some of them aren't legumes and they just grow and then they winter kill. So they're killed by the frost and then they become part of the carbon in the soil and the roots build that soil up. So Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> okay, so there is a whole lot that I don't understand that I am going to have to learn. So can you just learn line upon line? I mean, or do you have to do the whole thing right from the beginning or your toast? No, I think the first step really is to hop on one of our webinars, honestly, and and then start from where you are. Like if you're already starting a garden in your backyard and you've already been growing and you're confident with that, then I would say, um, I would say hop on one of our webinars first and see if that might not help you design your garden. We also have monthly the 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 topics change from every two weeks and every month we have a planning webinar depending on the and it's it's um seasonal so whatever the season calls for that's what we'll be we'll be talking about in the monthly garden planning webinar and on there we talk about okay what should you be doing in your garden this month to maintain to harvest to sow um and to, or to fertilize but i think um you learn as you go, you know, you learn as you go, as you grow more, right. you observe more, and then you learn more than you apply. And at the end of a year, um, you can, I think the, the key thing is really to observe and to take notes and to learn from that reflection as to what the land is telling you to do. Um, and sometimes one of the, one of the advices that I give the clients is to not forget to put a chair in a comfortable place in your garden to encourage you to just foster that meditative spirit and meditation to look at your garden, to appreciate the abundance and to see what it needs for you to do um, for the next season. Wow. Okay. And if you need help, then that's what a GIY program is for is we get to consult with you once, once a month. And if you're, you're stuck, 
we get you forward, we find solutions to whatever it is that, you know, rodents or bugs or pests or disease that you might not have encountered before. That is amazing. <laughs> okay. Wow. Beautiful. So when you know what you're doing, then other things become easier. And I love the idea of putting a chair in the garden and watching. I think sometimes, I don't know, growing up, you think that outside and work because weeding was we had to weed. Um, it's, it's a drudgery. And the idea of sitting and enjoying and contemplating is, is beautiful. Now, some of the things that you're suggesting, a lot of people don't have a yard or maybe they have an HOA or they have, you know, kind of a situation. So I know you do some things to help like deal with an HOA situation or to grow things inside. Can you give us some pointers on what do you do if you don't have a yard or don't have a space for a garden outside? Great question. So for us, we do have an HOA, our homeowners association. And every year we get a letter saying that we need to do something because we do like to grow our food in the front. And there is um, there are restrictions as to how to do that or not to do certain things. So we limit it to a lot of the, the vegetables that look more like ornamentals. Because in the end, a lot of the ornamentals really are edible. And we do have a few own, ornamental onlys in the front. I think things that help are alyssum. They sort of uh, spill over and create a beautiful border, Swiss shard, or beautiful additions to a front yard. And also the placing of it in a repetitive pattern, very like... Uh, uh, plan way and I think one of the HOA restrictions for us is do not let it spill over your <laughs> your wherever it is that you your garden ends or whatever your your property line is you have to totally like cut that so um, I think those things we can live with you know and when, when they tell us to if if um, at one point they did tell us to like we cannot grow tomatoes and we cannot grow peppers so that one was very heartbreaking in the front yard and that was the sunniest part of our garden. So we grow 25% of our food despite wow. these restrictions, 25% of our produce, despite these restrictions in the back, which is a shady yard. So some people may think I might I have a shady yard, but I can't grow anything there. There's lots of shady perennials that you can choose from. Rhubarb, there's a Native American tree called a pawpaw, which is now in fruit, and we've just harvested too many of them that we're not sure how to how to eat them all up, but they're delicious. Um, and there are use um, vertical vertical uh, trellises to help things climb up in the back in a shady yard. Now, in indoors, we also grow by our south facing windows. We grow on top of our fish tank. Believe it or not, we have a little Mother Earth news segment where um, we teach people how to grow inside their house and outside, even in the winter. And we have a fish tank, so that's. A very cyclical system, unlike a uh, an aquaponic system that's very um, linear in the sense that you would be adding nutrients that you bought from a store, you know, in a bottle. With a hydroponic system, that is fish tank, where you're relying on the fish's poop to feed your plant roots, and then we grow lettuces that way. Um, in the basement, we grow mushrooms, um, and those are really medicinal and really great at addition to you know anyone's diet. Um, are they hard grow to grow? Mushrooms. Are mushrooms hard to grow? Or are they easy? They are easy if you get the kit. Um, they're easy because you just spray in the kit. You just spray with water every you mist it pretty much every other day. And uh, we grow oyster mushrooms that way. Blue oysters. We've grown lion's mane, something called lion's mane that's medicinally um, 
all all mushrooms are um, have proven to be having anti-cancer properties. Oh, interesting. Some more, yes, some more than others. Um, like turkey tail is a very is a well studied one for cancer, for um, even for you know um, augmented treatments together with chemotherapy. But we grow, we grow, we don't grow turkey tail. We grow um, there are some that are easier to grow than others too. So we grow the easy ones. Oyster mushrooms and lion's mane are easy, and we've grown reishi, which is another medicinal immunity boosting mushrooms mushroom, and those are in bags. You can buy them as kits. And they um, are grown in mushroom bags that you keep like in your, in your, by your by your uh, sink, and then you just because you see it every day, you just mist it every day. A bag, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Man. You can grow. We grow them if you have a shady yard. We grow them in logs. We grow them in um, sawdust. That's just on like a garden bed, but for mushrooms. So. Yeah, there's there's different ways to grow mushrooms as well, but the easiest intro to mushrooms way is, and my husband has a course on this too, and I run our website um, is to grow them using a toilet paper roll in a bag. A toilet paper roll in a super bag. Ex- yeah, super accessible. Super accessible. Okay, I'm pretty sure we have some of those on hand. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to have to check out your website. That is amazing. Now, as I'm listening to you, it's like, I want a tour of your yard and your house and to see where you fit all of this stuff. That's amazing. And well, you're producing 25% of your... winter, it's all, everything's inside again. It's all plants. <laughs> so do you have things that you take outside in the summer and then bring in in the winter? Yes. Our banana tree, our moringa tree, our... What is it? Our ginger plants, our turmeric. Um, what is it? Mostly our trees, our trees that we try to nurse, even though we live in a townhouse and we're dreaming of of moving to a farm. So please pray for that because we would like. Um, I think you deserve a farm, Nikki. I think you deserve yes, a, for that. Like a big a garden. So how big is your yard then? If you're in a townhouse, I would imagine not very large. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, I always ask my husband this because I forget. So the property is like 1,600 square feet. And of course, less than that is where we grow because it's the backyard. But when we calculate it, it's like 140s of an acre. <gasps> wow. And you're able to produce a quarter of your food, your your fruits and vegetables that you eat. And you yes. have all of those trees. Wow. Well, I'm glad they're portable because when you get to your farm, you need to take all those with you. That's what we're trying to do is like keep them alive until we can, we can move. But um, that's funny because our banana tree is our Christmas tree because it's huge. <laughs> so when it's winter time, then you have to kind of take up less space in the house because there's plants everywhere. Yes. Yeah, there is plants. Um, and some of them like we'll just have to. I'm sorry. We can't take all of you in. So we just have to sacrifice. <laughs> oh, darn. Um, that is amazing. Okay, and you have six kids, and you homeschool, and you run this gardening business, and you do all of these things, and you're happy and joyful, so you're enjoying what you're doing. That is amazing. Well, I appreciate so much visiting with you today. I've appreciated learning from you, and it has just been enough to whet my appetite, and there's so, so, so much more that I need to learn. But thank you for being here with me today. 
Oh, thank you so much, too, for being able to share this with you and your audience. Oh, it's been a pleasure. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Alfred Austin. He said, The glory of gardening, hands in the dirt, head in the sun, heart with nature. To nurture a garden is to feed not just the body, but the soul. Today, I invite you to feed your body and soul by connecting with nature in some way, possibly by growing your own food. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thank you.